Um, my name is Ron. I, I'm uh, an elder here at Heights Baptist Church. Joe is in Chicago. Um, in fact, I'll share a little bit about what we did this week. So Joe is at his second conference of the week, pastor's conference. And uh, so Joe and Alex and I, Pastor Alex, Pastor Joe, myself, uh, took off for Colorado this past Monday, and we were there through Wednesday and got back Wednesday night. But we went to a pastor's conference um, and this one was put on in Colorado by the Rocky Mountain Church Network, which we belong to. And uh, it was just a, uh, it was a great, it was a great uh, manly road trip, first of all. Um, and uh, we got a little muddy and we ate too much bad food and, and all that goes along with that. So uh, <laughs> I won't go into greater detail, but I did get tired of Chick-fil-A. And uh, Joe's going to listen to this recording. And yes, I'm not a heretic for saying that. So... Um, but it was, a, it was a privilege to be along with them as they go and they uh, go to the co pastor's conference and get training. It's an important uh, part of what we do here to train our, our pastors and, uh, because we're dependent on them. We're dependent on them because God says so and because, because God puts them in authority over us um, in, in His Word. And so we want to make sure that they're well-equipped to not only guide us and help us grow in our spiritual maturity, but also... Um, to protect us from heresy and from false doctrine and things. And so it's important for us to do that. So Joe turned around Thursday, jumped on a plane, and went, went to another one. Um, and, and in Colorado, we touched on, uh, on how God works uh, extraordinary things through just ordinary people. That was kind of the theme of the conference, and uh, it's so true. We know that from just about every character in the Bible, uh, but particularly through David. And so that was the emphasis in, in 1 Samuel there. Um, and then in Chicago, I think, uh, I think Joe's um, just uh, getting a deeper knowledge of biblical theology and, and kind of the, the Bible as a single story and all the truths and themes that run through uh, the Bible. And so uh, it's good for him to go to that. But as I've done before, when I filled the pulpit, I like to, I like to just have us uh, bow our heads together and pray for our pastors because I, I think that's uh, not just as an elder, but all of us, I think, understand the importance of um, their growth and, and their direction and guidance and their closeness to God in relationship and their ability to, to hear His direction and His vision for us. So um, why don't we just take a few minutes real quick and let's do that if you just bow your heads. Let's pray together for, for Pastor Joe and Pastor Alex. So, um, God and Father, we, we just come before You today. We come before You in the name of Your Son, our Savior Jesus Christ, who gave His life for us that we could live, and that we could have a more abundant life. And Lord, part of that is just our, our spiritual growth and our fellowship here and worship of you together. And uh, you've placed Joe and Alex in uh, positions of leadership and responsibility and accountability and service here to us. And so we want to pray for them this morning. We just want to lift up their ministries to you and pray for protection for them in their, uh, in their lives and the protection of their families, their young families, and, and also pray for spiritual growth. Uh, it's so critical. Their growth is critical to our growth. So we pray that they would continue to become um, strong communicators of the Word, the truth of the Word, and teachers, and uh, grow in their knowledge of the Scriptures, and uh, just be increasingly effective in their instruction to us. We pray that they would just uh, have a strong passion for the Word of God and immerse themselves in doctrine and truth for your glory and for the, the blessing of all of us. 
and for our community. Lord, we pray that through their direction and through the strength of their, their walk with you, Lord, that we would reach out into the community and that we would uh, be bold in that. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus this morning. Amen. Well, we're going to continue in Romans. And, uh, you know, it's, it, when, when you get asked to preach, it's, um, I don't know, I tried to run away, and Joe tackled me, and so I came, came to my senses, and I said, yeah, that's part of what I do, I guess, as an elder. You know, it's a, it's a calling of any elder. An elder is a, a pastor and a, and a teacher, and we're responsible for that. And so here I stand, and I, I'm not worthy, uh, but it's not about me. So you should listen to me because uh, God called me to this pulpit this morning, if for no other reason. So um, it's, a, it's a blessing when you prepare for a sermon. You, you really get immersed in the Word that week and the weeks leading up to it. And, and so uh, it, it, it's a rich experience, and I'm grateful for that. But I'll tell you, it did not, uh, it did not come together like a perfect three-point sermon like I'd hoped it would. Uh, maybe you're accustomed to that from Joe, but for me, I... I'm going to go about it in the only way I know how, and that's just breaking it down and trying to simplify things, uh, if, if not for you, for me. And so I ask you to, to uh, and I think we have it up on the screen. I know the computer's been acting up today, so uh, maybe we can get those verses for today up on the screen. In fact, what, what I'll do before we, before we jump into the actual text today, Romans 3, 5 through 8, what I want to do is just, I want to look back because we've been going through Romans. And I just want to reflect on where we've been so far because I think that, that context is going to help us today. It's going to help me, but I think it'll help all of us to look at the context and just kind of recall where we've been so far in this letter that Paul wrote to the Romans. And so Paul, you know, he began the first half of chapter 1, he, are the greetings to, to the uh, church in Rome, uh, which is comprised of uh, Jews and Gentiles. And there's some dynamics going on there that he's addressing. Uh, uh, but he greets them and he, he longs to be with them. And, and then if you recall, we, we stopped and spent a couple Sundays in just verses 16 and 17. And so I want to read those. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Romans 1 and we'll be in verses 16 and 17 here. And it's going to foreshadow kind of what we talk about today uh, in our verses in Romans 3. So 16 and 17 say, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Verse 17, For in it the righteousness of God is revealed, the righteousness of God is revealed in the gospel from faith to faith as it is written, but the righteous shall live by faith. And so Paul kind of expresses that great theme right there in those two verses. It's going to carry through pretty much the first eight chapters of Rome. And we'll finish up probably the first eight chapters of Romans um, about six years from now, I'm guessing. <laughs> That's right, right we're going. But um, chapter, uh, the second half of chapter one, Paul is explaining the, this concept that, that people are corrupted, corrupted by sin. It's, uh, we're born into sin, it's our nature. It is our nature to be in sin, and we're all deserving of, of God's punishment and His wrath. And again, that word wrath uh, is not so much God's anger, but God's condemnation is judgment. And so uh, Paul's painting this picture of the immoral man uh, that, that's in bondage to sin. Uh, as he gets into chapter 2, uh, just looking back at what we've, we've studied so far in chapter 2, the first half of chapter 2 is kind of the same condemnation, uh, but not for the immoral man, for the so-called moral man. 
And uh, again, this hypocrite who thinks that just because they're a, a good person, uh, and that they generally follow God's law, that they're going to heaven, and that, that somehow there's an exception for them. And Paul explains that they're just as guilty before God. And then we, and then we transition in the second half of chapter 2, we looked at, uh, specifically, Paul addresses the, the Jews in the church in Rome. And uh, uh, some of the Jews there thought that they were secure and, and that they would escape judgment and punishment because of their heritage, just because they were born into, the, into this chosen nation. Um, and, and so they thought that somehow they would automatically avoid sin on that basis. And of course we know um, that just having a knowledge of God's law is not sufficient. And so Paul takes a, a fair amount of time uh, making sure that there's no misunderstanding about that, that it does not it does not make a difference that they're born into a Jewish household. Um, in the end, they are subject to the same punishment and condemnation, and that's true for us as well. We may think that, well, I was born into a, I was born into a Christian household, and I, you know, I've been attending church since I was in the car seat, and um, you know, I, I'm still here, and I'm still doing all the right things, and I'm serving in different ministries, and and uh, you know, there's a parallel there. It's it's not enough. It's not on you. It's not what you do and the motions that you go through. And we're going to talk a little bit more about those appearances and kind of those false securities that we have. But Paul points out um, that's not the standard. The, the standard is perfection. And you fail to meet that standard talking to these Jews. And so um, this, this uh, Jewish birthright, this uh, circumcision, all these things that they thought uh, secured their place in heaven, um, he corrects them on that and he shows them that's just false. That's a false security. So, um, jumping into our, our passages for today, and if, you're, uh, if you have your Bible, turn to chapter 3 there, verses 5 through 8, and uh, let me read those for us again. But if our unrighteousness, let me back up. Paul's writing a letter, and letters are kind of half of a conversation, right? I mean, it's kind of like listening to somebody on the phone, but you're not hearing the other person. And so it, it, it's kind of nice here because in the start of chapter 3, he transitions to this kind of Q&A. And uh, not because he's just kind of making up arguments to knock down. He's not just setting up a straw man and knocking it down. He, he's actually addressing issues that have been raised by people, mostly Jews, in this congregation in Rome. And so he asks the question. He, Joe went over the first four verses last week. It was the same thing. So Paul poses the question. He kind of uh, has this opposition argument, and he sets that up, and then he responds to it. And so we get the, we get the benefit of, of not just, know, you know, we know what the circumstances are because he presents it in this format. So read along with me, and then we're going to break it down a little, bit, uh, a little bit more just to make sure we have a clear understanding. Verse 5. But if our unrighteousness serves to show the righteousness of God, what shall we say? That God is unrighteous to inflict wrath on us? I speak in a human way. Verse 6, Paul says, By no means, for then how could God judge the world? Verse 7, But if through my lie God's truth abounds to His glory, why am I still being condemned as a sinner? And why not do evil that good may come? as some people slanderously charge us with saying. And then Paul concludes there by saying, their condemnation is just. Let's pray 
Lord, we thank you for the reading of your word this morning. We know that it has the power to transform us, to transform our lives. So Lord, that's our desire. We pray that you would change us as we study your word, that you would make your will known, that you would make your message clear to each of us and to us as a congregation, that we would come away with a clear, true understanding of your desire for our lives. We thank you for the truth of your word. We pray that it would be our, our focal point as we just work through this here today. Speak to us, Lord, and help us to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, let's look again. I said we'd look again, so let's break this down real quick because it's a little, I don't know, I, it's a little confusing. It was to me anyway. Um, but looking there at verse 5, This is kind of how I understand that, and forgive me if I kind of lean on my notes a little bit, but what I, what I hear the argument as being is these Jews are saying that, that our unrighteousness, you know, our sin is essential to God's righteousness. In other words, if there was no sinner, there wouldn't be this magnificent God. This is how I understand uh, Paul setting this up. This is how I understand the issue in the church there in Rome. And so these people are mistaken, but they're saying if our sin and disobedience and guilt allows God the opportunity to demonstrate how righteous He is, then, then my sin is actually a good thing because it magnifies Him. It, it helps Him appear greater and better the darker I can be. Um, how can you say that I'm going to be condemned if my unrighteousness just magnifies His righteousness? And Paul says, well, because God has promised to judge. God has promised to judge the sins of the world. And so you're not going to escape judgment by making this argument that somehow your sin magnifies God. He will be faithful to His promise. It goes on. The Jews there in the church in Rome essentially ask, shouldn't I sin even more? Shouldn't I sin more so God's righteousness can be magnified? Well, I, there at the end, Paul says their condemnation is just. <laughs> I mean, he doesn't, he doesn't need to go into uh, to belabor some kind of a, a long, detailed response to this. Um, essentially, his response is, um, that's nonsense. That's nonsense. That's, morally, that's just morally repugnant. And to kind of, I'll give you a spoiler alert. God is the same yesterday today, tomorrow. It doesn't matter how dark I am or how much I sin or how great my evil is. I, I can't change God by my actions. God is the same. He is holy and just and righteous through and through. It does not magnify Him more for me to be acting like a scoundrel. And so that, that's essentially, I think that's the essence of Paul's response that Look, their condemnation is just. The people who are making that argument that, that greater sin magnifies God, it doesn't, it's unreasonable. It's not legitimate. It doesn't deserve a long, drawn-out sermon, although I'm going to preach on it today. But the, these Jews are really seeking, by virtue of their birthright, they're seeking to avoid condemnation and sin and accountability just because they're God's chosen people. And I think that they're holding up this suggestion in the church there in Rome, and it's dangerous. 
it's dangerous because there are people who hear that and we, we have a sin nature and we hear that and if we can justify sin, we'll do it. We'll do it. So, I think, you know, Paul reflects on the Jewish people uh, all throughout the book of Romans, but, but here, I, I kind of, I hear what he's saying. I hear what he's thinking. Paul's thinking, you know, this people, these Jewish people, have been chosen by God. They've been given the oracles we read in the first few verses of Romans last week. Been given the oracles, which are the commands, the commands of God. And their response is to use them as an excuse. Rather than accept them as commands and glorify God and obey them, they'd rather hear them as an excuse or an opportunity to live the way they want to live. And Paul is he's disappointed in that, obviously. And it's, it's dangerous, as I said, to the church to accept that mentality. And you see there at the end in verse, in verse 8, um, some people are even suggesting that this is Paul's teaching. They're suggesting that Paul is teaching that the greater the sin, the greater God is magnified. And that's a distortion not only of his teaching, but it's a distortion of what we know who God is just from the Old Testament Scriptures, the Jews in Rome, they had the commandments. They know who God is, and that's not God. God is not magnified by sin. And so I think Paul looks at that and he says, look, you're you're slandering me. The words you're saying about me and my teaching are harmful to me, even. And more importantly, they're harmful to God. And so, well, let's dive in a little bit deeper. So, that kind of breaks down the verse. I hope that it helped me kind of sit there and think about the conversation that's taken place, this, this Q&A that Paul is having with himself. And I think, um, to me, it kind of, it struck me as, as the ends justifying the means. In other words, these, these individuals who are making these arguments are saying, look, I, you know, I, th- I think I can, I can justify my sin if ultimately it brings glory to God. And allows him to magnify himself and his righteousness. It's, it's kind of an ends and means uh, justification. In other words, the, the way that God gets there to just to to his, magnifying his righteousness is through just my deplorable sin and my evil. And so, yeah, I can justify that. The ends justify the means. And I, I get to thinking about uh, you know uh, you, you've heard uh, the, the term Machiavellian. Uh, Machiavelli was a um, he was a an Italian uh, philosopher four or five hundred years ago. You can check me on that. I'm not entirely sure, but but Machiavelli was the one who kind of made this popular. This idea that the, the ends justify the means. In other words, if if my ultimate goal is noble, then who cares how I get there? Even if I have to kind of uh, you know if I if I want to be viewed as trustworthy. If I have to lie and cheat and be deceptive to get there, it's justified because in the end, I accomplish my goal. In other words, appearances. Machiavelli was all about instructing uh, the politicians and the royalty and the religious leaders of the day that, that, that this, was, this was okay. That it was okay that the ends justify the means and that if you, if you have to keep up appearances by you know, breaking your own kind of concepts and principles for yourself. If you have to, in order to, be, um, to appear gracious, you, you have to be uh, selfish 
And uh, um, if you have to get where you're going and keep your appearances up um, by basically sinning, that was okay. And that was the concept that he pushed. Um, oddly, and we'll, I'll explain this in a minute, but it, it, it's an idea that still exists. I mean, we see it everywhere. The ends justify the means. But it was, hourly, it was, uh, it was rejected, not just by Christians in his day, but by um, non-believers. Um, and we'll talk about that here in just a minute. It's important to understand why they rejected it, though. Um, because believers and non-believers alike looked at that advice and, and rejected it. And I think it's important to understand that because, because it has to do with who God is. And so I want to, um, I want to first touch on that by, by turning us back to 1 Samuel. And I, I mentioned King David earlier. Um, Samuel um, uh, was, was instructed by God. Uh, God informed him that Saul was no longer his uh, blessed king that he had withdrawn his blessing from him, and that he asked, he asked Samuel to go and, and find and anoint this new king. And this, this hits right on the head. Uh, this idea um, that you can keep up appearances by doing things that are evil, just as long as the ends justify the means, um, it, it doesn't work with God. And why is that? Because God doesn't look on the outward appearance. God looks on the heart. And so here we have, uh, we have Samuel going to uh, Jesse's home. And Jesse had uh, at least eight sons. I'm not sure if there were more, but it mentions eight, uh, including David. And so uh, Samuel, the first, the first son of Jesse that he looks at is Eliab. And Eliab is this powerful, strong, good-looking, handsome, um, uh, full-grown son of Jesse, and uh, you know, uh, Samuel says, surely Eliab is the Lord's anointed. And listen, listen to what God tells him. The Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. And so we, we, we hear from that that God is concerned with the heart of man, that the focus is not, for God, the focus is not on the appearance. It is important to God that you do things for the right reason and that you do the right thing. It's, it's not about appearance, it's about, it's about obedience to God's commands. And so the ends did not justify the means in God's eyes. And we read later about King David, of course, in, in the in the throes of sin and guilt and repentance, uh, when he cried out to God, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. So David got it. David understood that, that God is a God of the heart, the soul, and the mind, and he puts his word there for us. And so I want to I touch on that. You contrast that attitude of David with the Jews in the church in Rome who are you know, trying to justify their, their conduct and their evil by saying that it, it magnifies the Lord. You can see that the contrast there and that, and that the important thing is really the heart and God looks on the heart. And so and we, know, we know as believers too, we know from the Scripture that uh, when we give our lives to Christ, when we repent and we turn away from our sin and we commit to follow Him, we know that God places His Word on our hearts. He gives us a new heart. He gives us a new spirit. We read in 
Hebrews 10, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. And so we know as, we know as believers that God is concerned about matters of the heart. We know that from um, the Sermon on the Mount. Um, we know that from this passage that God gives us a new heart as believers. One that has, uh, as we read in that Psalm 19 uh, meditation, um, he gives us a passion and desire and appreciation and reward from a, a love of God's word and his commands. And so um, in, in this Hebrew passage, we're, we're, just we're just taught that when we're born again, it, that we receive, um, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we receive a new heart. And so again, it just doesn't, it, who God is doesn't reconcile with this uh, the ends justify the means. It doesn't reconcile with what we read in, in Romans 3. And, and I'll, I'll go on and say this as well. Uh, even for the unbeliever, we know from our, our study in, uh, in Romans 2, uh, we know that even for the unbeliever, uh, that they have a natural sense that God's given them of right and wrong. And I'll, I'll direct you, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Romans 2. And let's just take a look at uh, verses 14 through 16. And this is expressed in there, this idea that the unbeliever uh, does not have an excuse, cannot say, well, the, uh, God, your law is not written on my heart. Um, no, he's given them the ability to, to comprehend uh, everything that they need to know. So when they stand before him on judgment day, um, they, they have no excuse. So follow along with me, Romans 2, 14 through 16. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them on that day, when according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. And so, um, you you can see you don't have to be a, a Christian or you don't have to be a, a, a Jew who has the law to, to really understand that the ends do not justify the means. Uh, and again, so you have unbelievers who, who understand the folly of these arguments in Romans 3, and, and you have believers who have, uh, have the law written on their hearts. And so you can see why Machiavelli's ideas were kind of rejected by everybody, it, it, because everybody understands it's, it, it's just nonsensical to sin more in order to magnify God, who's the same yesterday, today, tomorrow. Uh, he's holy, he's perfect. Uh, there is no greater God. He is the great God. And so the folly of these arguments and, uh, that Machiavelli makes is, is rejected, and the folly of these arguments that the Jews in Rome are making is is nonsense and and you can see that uh, Paul thought that when he said their condemnation is just uh, they, they deserve the punishment and the wrath of God that uh, that they're gonna get um, so it's um, it's interesting to to think I I was um, reflecting on this after the first service with Pastor Frank and he pointed out uh, kind of the same thing he just gave a different example but he's he says, you know, uh, when, when the kids' clothes were dirty, they, they would claim they weren't dirty and they could wear them again three or four days in a row, and, and mom would finally pull out a, a pair of clean clothes and, and say, this is a pair of clean clothes. And 
then you could see the contrast. And in the same way, he was making the point that God's righteousness is, is pure. And when, you, when you're dirty and filthy and, and wearing rags and then you hold up uh, you know, a white shirt, um, you know, it, it's evident to anybody that, you know, the difference. And so we each have that ability to reflect on, on God's law and right and wrong and, and what is natural and what is unnatural. And so, so we turn to this... Uh, we turn to this, uh, this promise that God has made, these promises. God has promised um, to punish sin. He's a just God and He's a merciful God at the same time. And, and those two things uh, obviously don't reconcile easily until you, you are introduced to the man Jesus Christ. And so you understand how God can be a just God and at the same time, uh, at, at the same time He's punishing sin. He's also demonstrating great mercy through His Son, Jesus Christ. And so we look at um, uh, His promise in Romans 1.18. You can flip, flip back to Romans 1.18, uh, which says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. And so that, that, is, the, uh, that is a reflection of that promise that God made that He will judge, He will condemn man who is in sin and, and judge the unrighteous. And again, that wrath is, uh, is not so much a hate as a condemnation, as a punishment that is just and deserved. And then uh, um, if you also turn to Romans 1, 16 and 17, again, we read that just a minute ago, but this is where His mercy, His promise of mercy and grace and deliverance and a Savior comes in. Uh, Romans 1, 16 through 17, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, but the righteous shall live by faith. And so there's this, you know, God is righteous. Everything about Him is righteous. It is holy and just and pure. And that righteousness through Jesus Christ is transferred from God to us. When we profess our belief, a sincere belief in who Jesus is and that He died for our sins and that we're, we're desperately lost without Him, that righteousness of God, that divine righteousness and godly righteousness is imputed to us. And uh, it, it's, not through, it's not through the works of the law. It's not through following the, the Old Testament commandments. It's not through um, being born into a Christian family or a Jewish family. Uh, you know, doing good things, uh, working for a nonprofit charity, or uh, you know, shoveling your neighbor's driveway—all these things that that we kind of get cluttered up in our mind. It's there's one way to salvation, and that's through Jesus Christ, our Lord, and faith in Him. For all who believe, uh, faith in Him is key to eternity. And so, I won't. Uh, I won't go too much further into that. I know Joe's going to keep preaching through Romans 3 and there's kind of a transition point here in verses 21 and 22, but I'll read those for us. So we're kind of approaching this. and Those verses say, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. Verse 22, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. And so there's, there's the confirmation of that substitution. Jesus in our place as we sit in the judgment seat and, 
we've been convicted, we're in our sin, and we're worthy of nothing more than death, and we await the punishment, there's the substitution through Jesus Christ who takes our place. And as God looks upon His Son, He sees His own righteousness. And He sees both judgment and He sees the promise of deliverance fulfilled. Both of those things. So, I hope, um, I hope that if you have any questions about that, you're, you're fully welcome to pull me aside or, or uh, contact either of our pastors at any time. Um, if you have questions about that substitution, about God's saving grace through His Son, Jesus Christ, I, I'd be happy to talk to you about it. Um, either of our pastors would. In fact, our, any of our members should be happy to talk to you about it. If you have a, a friend here, a regular attender, or a member, who, someone that you can go to, uh, we'd be delighted to just share our story um, of God's work in our own lives and just how, how that's transformed us into who we are today and how that's a continual process of just being transformed by the grace of God. And so uh, don't hesitate if you're here and you have questions about that. Please ask, please ask me or somebody and uh, we'd be happy to point you to, to the Word. And uh, I actually, I actually um, if you'll forgive me, I took a picture of, I'm taking pictures during the service. I took a picture of one of the slides we sang earlier um, because if, if you ask questions of anybody in our congregation, we just sang the words that, that you might hear in their testimony when something like this, He died for me while I was sinning, needy and poor and blind. He whispered to assure me, I found thee, thou art mine. I never heard a sweeter voice. It made my aching heart rejoice. And I just think that's a, a, a beautiful picture and a beautiful explanation of how um, God calls us home, calls us to Himself and to a relationship through His Son Jesus. And so um, don't hesitate to talk to somebody if, if uh, you have questions or you're just more curious about passages in the Bible that would be helpful for, um, for fleshing that out. So let's go ahead and pray. God and Father, we, just, we thank You again for Your Word and for teaching us from Your Word this morning. And, uh, it's our desire that You would deepen our understanding, deepen our knowledge of, of the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank You that He's our Savior, that we can be in relationship with Him because of His righteousness, because of His perfect life and His willingness to die on the cross and that He was raised again, Lord. We thank You that we can put our faith in Him. And in doing that, we're justified. and We're reconciled in our relationship with You through His righteousness. Lord, we pray that uh, as an extension of that relationship, we, we desire to, to love and trust and obey You more intently in our own lives. But we also, we also pray that, uh, that we would place the needs of others before ours. We pray, too, that, that you would just give us a tremendous love for our brothers and sisters in Christ, for the church, the family of God, and for our community, Lord. We pray for the lost in our community. We pray that you'd give us a passion to share the gospel so that others can turn from sin, commit their lives to him. 
Lord, as we head out into the into this broken world today, we just pray that Christ would be at the forefront of our lives. And as we wrap up here with some worship and praise, may we just sing from a sincere and broken heart. Help us to stand firm, grounded in the truth of your word. We pray in Jesus' name.